All right, Chicky. I think uh, third time, odd time is a sunnah. So uh, maybe yeah. that's what uh, <laughs> the, the situation needed for us to do it the third time. Alhamdulillah. So are you ready? Because uh, yep. I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. So uh, once again, uh, we have Shakib with us. Uh, he works in uh, healthcare. Uh, he has a background in both uh, data collection and analysis, and he's here to cut through all the different uh, maybe misinformation and give us the hard data. There's We're actually getting inundated with a lot of different types of information from different sources. So hopefully we can get some take-home messages. What is the current situation? Because as we know with information and data, it can change. And as such, as it changes, uh, we uh, develop uh, different and better understandings of the situation. So currently, um, how are we sitting here with um, the cases in Canada, um, provincially, uh, which are the provinces that are faring better, which are the ones that are uh, struggling a little bit right now? So maybe you can start off and give us a little bit of a background on the Canadian situation right now. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, Dr. Sayed. Again, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to speak to your guests here today. Um, in terms of the update from Canada, today is Saturday, March the 28th, uh, just after 1 p.m. local time in BC, 2 p.m. local time in Alberta, and 3 p.m. Uh, local time in Saskatchewan. So as we're looking at the update, it is across the country, 5,303 confirmed or suspected cases um, with 792 in BC, 542 in Alberta, and 104 in Saskatchewan, and 64 in Manitoba, if we're looking at Western Canada. And so how about the East? That's where the uh, numbers sit. And it's do, important do you know to understand the that these numbers are changing every day, um, almost hour by hour. Uh, here in Alberta, where I live, um, we're expecting an update from the Public Minister of Health um, within about two hours here with um, the latest caseload for today. Okay, and and how, do you do you know the numbers out east? Because obviously their numbers, besides BC, are quite large, right? The Ontario yeah, that's right. situation. Quebec is over a thousand, and Ontario is, if they're not at a thousand, very close to it right now. Okay, so they're about a, so the the largest caseload right now is in Ontario, correct? Uh, it's actually in Quebec, um, and the reason for that is Quebec okay. changed the way that they count cases, so okay. all of the other provinces report. Uh, confirmed cases after they've done laboratory testing. Quebec now reports their confirmed cases as well as their suspected cases. Okay, so maybe those numbers, because they're being tabulated differently, uh, are uh, skewing the, those total numbers a little bit. Yeah, and of course Canada with 10 provinces and three territories have 10 different health systems, 10 different ministers of health, um, 10 different public health officials. So sometimes we do have a little bit of a mis mixed message coming out. Um, mm. But that's just in terms of how we're counting things. And some people want to be um, a little overcautious and count not only their confirmed cases, but also their suspected cases. Do you think this is uh, causing some, uh, besides uh, misinformation, but inefficiencies? Like, is there a movement towards better coordination between uh, the provincial governments and entities and also maybe even federally? I wouldn't necessarily say so. I know that um, at the government level, they're having meetings twice a day, every day. Um, they don't stop for weekends. For example, this morning I was on a conference call at uh, 7 a.m. Um, so just because it's a weekend and people are 
maybe not going to work or working from home, um, we are still doing that work and we're still meeting regularly. So I don't necessarily know if there's inefficiencies within the system, but um, some of those differences in how we count things or how we deal with public health or communicate public health um, boil down to the provincial legislation. Okay, so looking at the data right now, because people are talking about uh, trying to flatten this curve, how does the data look? Is it uh, Are the measures we're taking, is there hope for optimism with uh, social distancing and these restrictions on travel and so forth? Uh, what is what is the result uh, of all of this? What is the data telling you? Yeah, alhamdulillah, I think uh, definitely reason to be optimistic. Uh, if you look at today, today is uh, three days, or sorry, three weeks and one day from the first case in Alberta. Um, so we've come a long way in three weeks from when our first case was reported. However, it's still too early if uh, to tell if we are indeed flattening the curve and how much we would have flattened the curve. Uh, as you might have heard before, the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 takes somewhere between 10 and 14 days from when you're first infected to when you're showing symptoms. So because it has an incubation period of about two weeks, any public health legislation or advisement or enforcement that we provide to the public will happen immediately, but those people will have been infecting people or potentially infecting people for the two weeks prior. So whenever a decision yeah, I, I is made at, or uh, a change is made, Yes. You know, I was just uh, commenting on what you said uh, because I was just looking at an article uh, about uh, one of uh, the clusters, you could say, of infections that occurred in Alberta, and it was because of a curling tournament. That's correct. Yeah, there was a curling yes. tournament here in Edmonton, Alberta, um, yes. and there were 47 physicians and healthcare pro uh, practice providers that had attended that. Um, and I believe at current count, 37 of the 47 were positive. Wow. Because, yeah, because uh, the numbers that I saw from the article, it said that you had 72 who attended, and then many of them, as you mentioned, healthcare providers, doctors. Uh, you had the head of the Saskatchewan Medical Association there as well, and this is where uh, they're saying he also contracted that virus. Um, so, uh and then they're dealing with patients and so forth. So is it easy to, how hard is it to track? Like you have somebody uh, from a known cluster, but then they may go to the grocery store, they may see patients, they may see other people. Uh, do you have a system in place to try to track, um, you know, all these people and, and the, those people maybe have exposed other people and so forth? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you asked that question because that's one of the things that's um, maybe not seen. Um, on the press conferences or at the front lines, um, especially for the public, is what we call contact tracing. So that's going back and looking at who you saw or who a potentially infected person interacted with over the last 10 to 15 days and trying to track down all those places, trying to track down all those people, trying to notify those locations, and then following up with those people. Because you can imagine that if I here was infected and I had contact with someone else, let's say yourself, well, then all of the people that you have contact with now have potentially contact with another infected person, and this is how the virus spreads. Okay. So these measures that are being taken, because, uh, again, you're, you're a data guy, and that's why I want to get the hard facts from you, because a lot of – there is some rhetoric. There is rhetoric out there that says, hey, this is just like the flu. Uh, you know, we're, we're killing our economy. We're causing a lot more damage globally because of some of these measures that we're taking. So is this just like the flu? Are we uh, going overboard in a lot of these measures? 
Yeah, no, I think that's a fair question. And I think it's a reasonable question for people to ask. Um, I can tell you absolutely 100% that it is not like the flu. You have flu-like symptoms. So for example, the four symptoms that we're always screening for are a fever, a cough, body aches, or a sore throat. If you have any one of those or a combination of those, you could potentially have the flu or the seasonal influenza, or you could have something more serious in um, COVID-19. Now, the differentiating case is that in COVID-19, those symptoms that start also include shortness of breath or trouble breathing. Now, for every 100 people that get infected with COVID-19, 80 of those cases will be mild, meaning that you'll have some fever, some body aches, but you could treat it just like you would a regular flu. Stay home, get some rest, get some fluids. About 15 out of those 100 cases, or 15% of all people infected with COVID-19, will require some sort of hospital visit, whether it's for painkillers, whether it's for fluids, whether it's to clear out some of the fluid in their lungs, they'll need some sort of medical help beyond staying at home. And the last 5% will require either intensive care or critical care, and potentially even the use of a respirator or a ventilator. And it's those 5% of people that we're worried about. If you look at COVID-19, just the overall global death rate, it's somewhere between two and a half to 3% of all cases. Now, if you compare that to the seasonal flu or influenza, the seasonal flu kills about one in a thousand or 0.1%, which means that COVID-19, comparing it directly to the flu, is somewhere between 20, 25, or even 30 times more deadly than the regular seasonal flu. Okay, so you, you shouldn't just disregard it as uh, a flu and uh, there's no uh, significant threat that's, uh, that people are facing. Because from what I see as well, some data, some articles that are coming out, one third of the cases in Canada are people under 40, correct? That, that's correct, yeah. When we looked at um, Italy, just because of the demographics of their population, the majority of cases were 65 and older. Are seniors mm -hmm. and those are the people that had underlying health concerns complex medical history were on multiple medications they had something else that brought them into a higher risk category and typically the younger people we thought were at a lower risk category but looking at the canadian data a large proportion of our cases are under 40. so we're looking at people that are younger maybe not necessarily healthier they might have some other medical conditions but we are seeing a lot of younger people going to get tested for covid 19. Okay. Uh, I also uh, saw an article that our system and um, is similar to Italy's. So our our demographics and system, not necessarily of who's getting it at this point in time, because we're saying that uh, there's a significant amount getting it uh, under the age of 40. But is that true as well, that um, our infrastructure is similar to that of Italy's? That's correct. I would say that Italy, um, their healthcare uh, structure was in a little bit of a better scenario than we were. Um, Canadian okay. healthcare, typically, uh, for example, in the hospital that I work at, um, our hospital usually, if you look at the number of patient beds, is operating at about 105% capacity, meaning that we are always over capacity. That's the same oh, across wow. the province and that's the same across the country. Is so we're already operating Canada. over capacity with that's uh, correct. So this this would with, be when you go COVID into a hospital. With, yeah, when you go into a hospital and you see patients being treated in hallways. Oh, really? 
So, so this is only without have, COVID-19. let's say, a thousand beds in a hospital, and that would be a very large hospital. Yeah. Um, we would see on average a thousand fifty or a thousand one hundred patients. Really? So this is without COVID nineteen. This is just not that a is strict. That is, that is kind of the default state that Canadian healthcare operates at. And so when I compare that to Italy, Italy is a little bit better where they're not quite at capacity, but they're okay. up there. They're in that ninety two to ninety six percent range for capacity. I think that's a very important thing for people to know that we are already at capacity, just normally operating without COVID-19. And now you add this uh, pandemic, this global pandemic, um, you can't take this lightly. You can't take this, uh, you know, uh, you know, as if, okay, we, uh, it's just a few extra cases of flu. No, exactly. So like I said, our typical hospitals operate at about 105, 110% capacity. And what one of the things that we've done across the country is we've stopped elective surgeries. So if you needed a surgery that was urgent and it was life saving, you're still going to get that surgery. But for surgeries that people have chosen to have, whether for medical reasons or otherwise, those surgeries are all getting postponed and delayed. And what that's done is that saved about 30% of our beds. And now our capacity, instead of being at 105%, is closer to about 75%. It also means that our capacity in intensive care or critical care units, the ICUs, has now dropped to about 50%. So we're trying is there to any plan those in beds. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Uh, is there any plan, just on this stream of thinking, is there any plan, uh, as they did in, in China and, and elsewhere, I think I'm hearing stories now coming to the US, where they're making makeshift hospitals or constructing Uh, centers just to deal with this issue? That is correct. We are not in the process of constructing facilities because that will take some time, but we are in the process of repurposing existing locations, Uh, expo centers, community halls, um, gathering locations, uh, public arenas, and using those as not hospitals per se, but using those as assessment and triage centers where you can go and you can get swabbed. Because of course, what we don't want is for someone who is potentially infected or is infected with COVID-19 to come into an emergency room and infect everyone else in that emergency room. We wanna keep those sick people separate, which is why we're testing them in other available places. What's the turnaround time for a test? Uh, If you asked me yesterday, it would have been about four days. Currently it's about eight. Eight days for you. So then a person, uh, and that's usually a person who's symptomatic, correct? That they're going to be testing for, or do you test asymptomatic uh, patients as well? We're not testing asymptomatic patients. We're looking for people with a recent travel history internationally within the last two weeks, people that are symptomatic and people that are symptomatic in high risk categories. Is this just due to our limited resources? Because from what I understand uh, in Korea, uh, they were able to uh, flatten this curve a little bit better because they just started uh, testing everyone in South Korea. That's right, yeah. Korea did about uh, 10,000 tests a day, which is an astronomically large number of tests for their population. And they were able to get very accurate numbers for who is infected, isolate those people and prevent the spread of the virus. Uh, One of the issues that we're running into is because Korea was so early, they were able to access and order a lot more of the tests required and the chemicals required for this test um, without having any shortages. Canada was doing an excellent job and still is 
The only problem is because all of the other countries are also requesting for the same types of kits and the same types of chemicals, there's now starting to be a shortage of some of those reagents, and that is going to hamper our ability to test everyone, which is why we're not testing all cases, just the highest risk symptomatic cases. Where are these tests coming out of? Where are they ordering it from? Uh, typically, it's run through um, the National Laboratory in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but Health Canada is working to have each local province and jurisdiction get direct access to the supplier. And the supply okay. chains are global, right? So uh, a lot of them are, were used up in Europe, which we don't have access to anymore. Um, and the other ones, uh, ironically enough, are in Asia, typically in China. Okay. And uh, so that's where we're, uh, that's where probably the source of these materials for the testing, that's where maybe the holdup is or the there lack is, of yes, resources. There's a little bit of a bottleneck for, for actually ordering these test kits. We do okay. have enough stockpiled for the next about 90 days, but it, it's beyond those 90 days that we're concerned that we might start to run low on supplies. We won't run out, but we're okay. worried that we might not have enough to meet the capacity as more and more cases are suspected and need testing. Do you have any data on the frontline workers, like these healthcare workers? What is their rate of getting infected by uh, COVID-19? So the infection rate is very low. We don't have any hard data because okay. it's hard right now to tell based on the number of cases we have in our hospitals. Like I said, most of these people that are reporting that they have symptoms are getting tested at external facilities. So these are those in Korea, you'd see those drive-in swab facilities. Yeah. Most COVID-19 patients, um, and I can only speak to Alberta for this because I work in the healthcare system here, uh, there are only 42 out of those 542 cases that went to a hospital. And of those 542 cases, only 20 went to intensive care. So it's okay. a very small proportion of our overall population, at least in Alberta, that is hospitalized. Okay, so, 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 so you're able to be infected. Okay, so and because of that, um, then maybe still the biggest um, threat, or you could say the people who are at risk of exposure is the community. That is correct. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's not like they have at this point uh, an extra higher risk. Uh, the 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 hospital workers, like statistically. Correct. Yeah. Based, but yeah. All okay. hospital workers are trained to. Um, put on and take off their personal protect, protective equipment, their PPE. And really it is the taking off of that personal protective equipment where we have the highest risk of potentially infecting yourself. Okay, and now what are we looking at in terms of uh, when will this peak? Because a little orange birdie told me that Easter, it's all gonna be good and we can walk out of our houses and uh, It'll be gone. It'll be business back to normal. I mean, I suppose if you lived in a bubble and you isolated yourself in a bubble, Easter would be fine. Um, yeah. That is not the case. So in epidemiology, okay. we have something called the R naught or the doubling rate. It is the sorry, R naught is the the number of people that some that in, gets infected from a virus. So for the flu, it's a rate of two. One person infects two people. For COVID nineteen. It's somewhere between two and a half and three. So for every one person that's infected, two and a half or three people get infected. And because we're still seeing an increase in the number of cases that are getting reported for infections every day, this thing will not peak for at least 
a couple of weeks. I would say even a couple is being very generous. I would say somewhere between eight and 12 weeks. So we're looking at either early July or mid July as a peak, not as an end. Okay. So what does that mean when it peaks? Because that's a good point to make that it's not an end. So when it peaks now, do we uh, reduce these measures or ease these measures? What are we looking at then once this peaks? Um, how how long do we have to keep some of these precautions in place? So I would say absolutely, please don't end the measures when we have the peak. The peak is only when you're at the top of the curve. Then things are going to peter out again, and that's going to take another six to eight weeks after we peak for this infection for things to go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that new normal looks like, whatever that new world looks like. So all okay. said and done, we're looking at a minimum, a bare minimum of at least September, October. Wow, September and October. Correct. Uh, so then do you think uh, from a public policy perspective that these measures will then remain till September and October? Absolutely, and that's the guidance we're getting out of Health Canada too, is that this, these social isolation, these self-distancing measures will not, or sorry, these um, self-isolation social distancing measures will not be lifted for months. We're not talking about weeks anymore. We're talking okay. about months. Okay. Now, is there any talk about isolating cities? Because that's what they did in Italy. They started quarantining cities themselves because right now you can travel interprovincially, you can travel to other cities. Uh, there was uh, you know, some uh, articles and social media posts about uh, earlier last week, people were taking this opportunity to go on vacation, uh, different within Canada, obviously, but they're traveling to different cities and, um, you know, lakes, mountains, things like that. So is there any talk about isolating or quarantining uh, cities and provinces? Uh, currently, there's no talk of isolating cities or provinces. I know it has been discussed at higher levels, but right now that is not on the table for us. The biggest mm -hmm. thing is if we continue with these social distancing and self-isolation policies where people are, one, admitting that they might have symptoms and two, being proactive to take care of themselves and more critically, those in their immediate circles. So I'm talking about their children, their friends, and most critically, their parents, making sure that these people are not being potentially exposed or infected with the virus. If we can limit our number of cases, then we don't have to go into quote unquote lockdown and isolate cities or provinces. Would you, um, given this timeline, would you think then it is intelligent planning for, uh, you know, schools, universities to plan for at least uh, until maybe even the winter semester? So until like after December holidays to have all their classes, everything online? rather than That's trying to exactly rush kids back yes. to school. That's also my concern is that if we get a peak by, let's say, mid-June, things start to calm down in August and then everyone goes back in September, there's still going to be these isolated individual cases or little pockets here and there, just like that curling uh, event that you had mentioned earlier, where you're going to have one or two people picking it up. But because now people are packed into classrooms, they're packed into restaurants, they're packed into locations again, events are going on again, that transmission is still going to spread. So my concern is that we might have a first peak in July, but there's potential for a second peak in September or October. And then okay. all of the work that we've done now will have to be repeated again. Okay. Do you have any information 
how our neighbors to the south are doing because it seems like their situation is far more complex and greater than what we're doing because now uh, the global total, they're at the number one. They have the highest number of cases. Um, and uh, if you look at, uh, you know, some of these um, death rates or, or well, numbers of deaths are staggering, like, you know, that are coming out sometimes uh, in a day uh, out of some of these countries. But now that you have a place like, you know, United States and some of these uh, very densely populated centers um, that are in this state that are dealing with this, um, do you have any data in regards to what's happening there? I don't have any data for the American system. Uh, the only mm -hmm. data that I've been able to access is the World Health Organization data that has it aggregated by country. But okay. if I said that Canada was complicated with 10 provinces and three territories, you can imagine what the United States is like with 50 separate states, 50 separate health departments, each offering their own guidance and their own local policies. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of clarity um, from the U.S. administration, from the president downwards, in terms of what a coordinated strategy is or in terms of what the best practices and guidances are. So because it's been left to the individual state level, each state is taking on its own jurisdiction and its own public health policy that might not drive with its neighbors beside it, or it mm -hmm. might not be as aggressive as it needs to be. So if, for example, uh, if we uh, do a very good job, as you're saying, based on this timeline, hopefully getting to the lower end of this curve in the fall, September, October, um, could you foresee uh, still these uh, international travel restrictions in place? Because there are, you know, each country is handling their situation differently. And, you know, maybe, maybe we become very good at it, but then, you know, if we have neighbors to the south and we open that border up, could that then now make an influx of cases back in Canada? So how do you foresee uh, us dealing with uh, international borders, people outside of our country, if, for example, Canadians do a very good job within their own country managing this? Yeah, so first let me answer your question on international travel restrictions. We can't tell what's going to happen one week from now. So it's very, very difficult to even speculate what's going to happen a couple months from now. Um, I don't have an answer for what's going to happen with international travel and whether there are going to be travel restrictions. I imagine things as they morph out over the summertime and we see or hopefully inshallah see these cases decline. Some of those travel restrictions will be eased and the people that are traveling are following the best healthcare guidance and self-isolating for 14 days after they land. But I can't give you a definitive answer on that. In terms of our neighbors to the south, that issue is a little bit more complicated. So as you said, the US is now highest for cases in the world. And the biggest concern we have in public health right now is if they become an epicenter. So the first epicenter was of course in China where this virus originated from, and then it shifted to Italy and Spain not far behind where also had a large number of cases and subsequently a large number of deaths. But because the U.S. was not very aggressive and didn't have a coordinated plan, they were not able to put in place their social distancing restrictions and limitations and gatherings. So they've had a lot of potentially infected people out there in the community. And of course, because they didn't have enough testing to do and they still don't, their um, numbers that they're reporting are always going to be an underestimate of what the actual um, infection rate in the population is in the United States. So our concern is that because it's being underreported, they have more cases than what they're saying. 
they could potentially, if they continue to cross the border, or if the borders open back up and these people start to cross back into Canada, they could potentially start to infect Canadians. Okay. Now, uh, the um, there's talk of a vaccine. So, uh, you know, there's been vaccines for uh, other viruses in the past. How effective is a vaccine? So if they come up with a vaccine, what is the timeline usually, even if they fast track it, what are we looking at? And is this going to be the silver bullet uh, that will just bring everything back to normal? Uh, so no, it will not be a silver bullet, similar to how you have the flu vaccine every year. And even if you get vaccinated, you still have a chance to get the flu, correct? Yes. So this would be a similar thing. It mm. is going to create herd immunity assuming they have the correct strain of the virus. Um, okay. And then in terms of how long it takes, there are a couple candidate um, vaccines out there that are on trial. The only thing is you have to make sure that your vaccine is effective and safe. And those pieces of testing require months. We're talking two to four months to complete those pieces of testing correctly. Assuming you've developed a safe vaccine and one that works. Because I don't want to give someone a vaccine and then three months down the road, figure out that it gives them something worse or it gives them some other condition that we hadn't foreseen. We want to minimize and limit those side effects as much as possible. So in terms of developing a vaccine, you're looking at about the time uh, either when the virus peaks or just after the virus peaks. The second problem there is you have to manufacture and distribute this, this vaccine on a global scale. And that is the biggest piece of work that's yet to be seen. Uh, we're trying to mobilize industry to put in place the resources we need for when we come to that point. But that manufacturing and distribution of the vaccine is going to take months as well. Now, uh, the va there's uh, you mentioned that we have to uh, obviously uh, isolate the right strain because from what I understand, there's two major strains of this uh, virus, correct? That's correct. Yeah, there was the original strain from China, and it seems like one of the strains has mutated a little bit, um, yeah. and that seems to be the European strain. Okay. And so, what is uh, affecting Canadians? Is this the European strain or the ch or the one from China? We believe it's the Chinese strain because most of our cases that started in Canada were travel-related cases. Okay. Okay. And so now, then, uh, conceivably. You wouldn't have a vaccine that's like one vaccine for all because there could be mutations that even continue to occur, correct? That's correct. However, if you again look at the flu vaccine, the flu vaccine covers about six or seven different strains every year. And those okay. are the strains that we typically expect to be the most infective and the most virulent every year. And that changes from year to year. We're a little bit luckier in that Australia typically gets the influenza virus first. And we can look at the Australian data and they make our best projections for which strains to include in the annual flu vaccine. So because of that, I do have a lot of hope and a lot of optimism that we're going to be able to put in a couple of strains worth of vaccine or vaccinate against a couple of different uh, strains of COVID-19 as well. Okay. So you mentioned herd immunity. So um, when are we looking at that point of trying to develop that herd immunity? Because again, that seems to be uh, more of, I think, the long-term solution, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Herd immunity is something that we'd be looking at minimum eight months down the road, if not 12 months, okay. as a minimum. 
it seems kind of weird call like <laughs> using that terminology though, eh? Like human beings as a herd, <laughs> you know, herd immunity. Is is crowd yeah. immunity better? Yeah, 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 crowd, crowd, you know, it's associated with crowdfunding maybe, I don't know. Mob immunity. Mob maybe. immunity. <laughs> you know, the mob always likes to have immunity, right? Uh, so uh, what would you say are some of the greatest uh, pieces of mi misinformation being circulated right now? Uh, I think some of the greatest pieces of misinformation are that the summertime is going to um, blunt or dampen the, the number of cases we have. Um, we don't know that for sure. Um, I know that my parents were telling me the other day, and my parents live in the Middle East, that, oh, it's okay, once it becomes summertime, the virus won't be able to survive in the winter. And I'm yeah. going, but you guys live in the Middle East, and right now it's quite warm there. So I don't think that's going to make a difference. It might, but yeah. from what we can tell, because this is a global pandemic and it's affecting places like California, places like Australia, places like the Middle East that are already quite warm and temperate climate zones, I don't think it's going to make a big difference in terms of the number of cases we see. So people hoping for a change in the weather to also bring a change in the fortunes for the infection rate, I don't think is a reality. Okay. Uh, so, because, yeah, yeah, I heard that as well, uh, that, okay, once it's summertime, I think one of the earlier articles said that, that don't worry, once it's summer, a lot of viruses don't operate better in certain seasons. Um and then this was, I, I, I don't know, uh, giving a little bit of false hope uh, to people. But you're absolutely correct. It's worldwide. Um, even if you look at uh, Italy, one of the worst areas, there's areas where it's a, a more you know, Mediterranean temperate climate, uh, as you mentioned, the United States. So what else is out there that's be circulating around with people that you think uh, you know, needs to be clarified? I think one of the biggest things um, that needs to be clarified is that this is not an airborne virus. The virus okay. needs to get onto you somehow, whether it's either through direct contact with someone, so touching someone, um, shaking hands with them, hugging them, um, touching an article of clothing that they had that they've coughed onto or sneezed onto. Um, mm. So it needs either direct transfer from person to person or indirect transfer from surface to person. So if, for example, I had sneezed all over my laptop, and then later on, my brother came and typed on that same keyboard, he would potentially be exposed to that virus. But he's not going to catch the virus from us being in the same room and breathing the same air or being in the same proximity. So it really is person to person contact or person to surface and then surface to new person contact that's spreading this virus. So you need some type of medium for Absolutely. it to yeah. transfer. Okay, so if you're in the same room as a, a, a as somebody, because I've seen that, um, you know, someone has said, "Oh, I was in this room, or I was in the same uh, convention as this person who got this virus," and they're starting to freak out, uh, even though they don't have any symptoms or anything like that. So you don't have to go to that level of anxiety. Correct. Yeah. Okay. What What else uh, is is out there that we should clarify? I think the other um, biggest thing that we have to rely on right now is that our public health officials are the source of truth for all information, for all isolation, and for all symptom information. So whatever you see on WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, social media, wherever you're getting that information, make sure that it's verified and coming from a trusted source. Make sure that it's not, you know, some dude sitting in his living room on a webcam telling you information, but make sure that it's actually verified, trusted information coming from a provincial or a federal um, or even an international information source. Okay. 
Uh, and also, I think we should appreciate that, that this information is continuously changing because there, I feel that there's a litany of experts out there on news broadcasts, uh, you know, putting out videos on YouTube saying, OK, and they're all doctors and experts. And sometimes there is conflating information because there are experts who have said that viruses, you know, the, these types of respiratory viruses uh, can be transmitted airborne, you know. So um, how do how do you kind of sift through all of this? Just we should just focus in on what the Canadian officials are saying or how should we sift through all this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Canadian sometimes and your local uh, health contradictory the, information. Yeah. Yeah. So the Canadian um, uh, Department of Health, as well as your local health authority, are the sources of truth, the sources of information. While it is possible that people are seeing one off or unique cases, they don't have the same resources, nor do they have the time to investigate and decipher as thoroughly as the Canadian um, Department of Health does or as your local health authority does. Um, if you're talking about a physician in an emergency room um, mentioning that uh, she or he saw something or your friend saying, you know, oh, I was at the supermarket and so-and-so coughed or sneezed. Um, while it might be true, they haven't really investigated that. A lot of that is anecdotal and it's a lot of our fears and anxieties play into those things. Yeah, I think what, another anecdotal uh, piece of information that uh, I read uh, earlier from that was coming out of Italy, they said that um, uh, they, and this was coming out from some of the doctors, they just, but they mentioned it was anecdotal, that they felt uh, that ibuprofen was not as effective as Tylenol or acetaminophen and um, they were saying that ibuprofen perhaps worsened the symptoms of uh, their patients. Have you heard anything in regards to that? I have, and I don't know how much truth is behind that. Uh, a lot of the data and a lot of the studies are still ongoing. I mean, we're still only kind of, at least for Canada, in week four, week five, depending on where you're counting our first case to be, whether it's Canada-wide or whether it's in your province. Um, so we're still in early days. We don't have all that information. Um, but again, I refer you back to Health Canada or to your local health authority with the best information. To the best of my knowledge, it does not make a difference if you're using ibuprofen or Tylenol or acetaminophen or aspirin to um, treat the symptoms of a fever because all of those things are doing the same thing and that is symptom relief. Yeah, and that and that's, that's uh, what was uh, – and then you had some videos that were coming out saying – Avoid this if you have uh, COVID-19 and uh, there's all this information, avoid ibuprofen. And uh, in Europe, I believe they refer to acetaminophen as paracetamol. That's so, correct, yeah. So they were saying um, some of the clips were coming out saying uh, use this instead of ibuprofen. But sometimes I also believe when the situation is so chaotic and dire uh, and you have to re react very quickly. You can't always look at data and studies in the moment in an emergency situation. No, so perhaps there is room for anecdotal information that we, you know, during this course, right? And how should we gauge that? So you have people on the front lines are dealing with this and they're just saying, oh, through my personal observation, should we still give that some weight? I think we should, but I think it bears some investigating. So I'm not yeah. saying that the anecdotal evidence out there or, or what people are seeing, frontline staff that are treating these patients, is not valid. All I'm saying is that you have to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples. And mm -hmm. so a little bit of investigation, a little bit of a, a background behind those people 
and what particular set of cases cause them to have a better or a worse reaction than someone else on a particular medication needs to be investigated. But I'm not saying that you need to run an international worldwide, you know, double blind randomized controlled trial to do this. Okay. And uh, uh, what would you say if you had to give uh, a few pieces of practical advice of how we should be um, moving forward at this uh, point in time, what would you say? I would say continue to remain vigilant, continue to self-isolate and social distance. Um, please, if you're coughing or sneezing, uh, cough into your shoulder, into your uh, the crook of your elbow. So you cough like this rather than coughing mm. into something. You don't want to be spreading those virus particles or those virus droplets as a general rule of thumb, but especially now with COVID-19. Um, also, mm. please continue to frequently wash your hands. Uh, making sure that you're thoroughly washing your hands, not just slapping some soap on and, and rubbing your hands together, but making sure that you're getting your fingertips and your, especially your thumbs. Um, and the last thing is if you are sick um, with, again, those symptoms, fever, cough, body aches, or sore throat, please stay home. Please contact your local health authority and they will determine whether or not you're severe enough for testing. And if so, where that testing will take place. Please don't think that um, if you've got uh, a little bit of a cough or a little bit of a tickle in your throat. It's okay to go to work. It's okay to interact with other people. Um, I myself host um, a guys night at my place every Friday night and I've got about eight or ten guys um, that usually come over. I canceled that three weeks ago when we first heard about this because mm -hmm. I wasn't willing to take the risk, not for myself, for these other guys who I dearly love, but for their children and for their parents. I yes. didn't want to be responsible for giving this to someone else who gave it then to their elderly parent or who gave it to their child and that person ended up potentially in the hospital. I was not willing to take that risk and I was not willing to bear that responsibility. So I think as much as possible, remain vigilant, continue to social distance and self-isolate and remember to look out for each other. Okay. And uh, I think those are very, very good pieces of information and good pieces of advice. And uh, the data will change, you know, some of the, the as, uh, you know, things are in flux. Uh, we definitely want to get you back in, you know, to the program. So then um, we can get uh, some good evidence and uh, get a little bit of a tempered, a balanced uh, approach of how we can deal with it. Because uh, there are people who are just very terrified and um, they're just wrapped up in anxiety. And then you have other people who are just... Uh, thinking this is really uh, nothing and it's not a big deal. And I don't know, maybe it's a mechanism, a way of coping with what they're dealing with. Uh, but um, I, I think the basics that are being repeated across the world are, are things that we can all practice and take part in. And of course, uh, what I think uh, we're doing uh, is we're taking into account um, the other aspects of this uh pandemic and i think our government has taken some good steps you know for that in terms of uh trying to help out with uh, economic relief and, and uh, i don't think there is negligence in leaving the population to just fend for themselves you know i think people have to appreciate that maybe that can set the tone so then we don't have to maybe go frantic and thinking that it's going to be everybody for themselves and um, absolutely you have to remember that we're in Umar, that we're all in this together and that yeah. not only are you looking after yourself, you're looking after your neighbor. Whether that's your physical neighbor who lives in the house next door, whether that's your brother that lives on the other side of the city, we're all yeah. in this together. We all have to look out for each other. So if that means that you're doing grocery runs for other people, alhamdulillah, that's how you're going to contribute to helping us um, 
stem the tide for this pandemic. If you're just giving people advice and um, trying to make yourself available, alhamdulillah, that's maybe your contribution to this. If it's, you know, telling people not to come over and visit you or um, reminding people to wash their hands, subhanAllah, even small things like this are going to make a difference if we all practice it and if we all remind each other about it. Okay. And just because you mentioned grocery store, one last thing, is there any data or uh, are there, uh, you know, how many reports are there of people uh, now contracting this virus from grocery stores? Because I just read an article today that there has been a little bit of an influx of uh, patients uh, in Ontario that worked at grocery stores or liquor stores. Yeah, I think that's the workers. Um, yeah. And again, it's just making sure that you're wearing personal protective equipment. So gloves, yeah. a face mask, um, a gown if necessary, and then making sure that you're sanitizing all the surfaces you're touching, and then making sure that you're sanitizing either through hand sanitizer or washing your hands um, and not touching your face. Um, in terms you, do you think of that's necessary for to, customers? Yeah, so in terms of you and I going to the grocery store, Again, the risk is very low because it's not spread through the air. So unless you are touching someone at the grocery store, you're giving them a hug, shaking their hand, um, or unless you are touching something they have touched, um, again, that person to surface and then surface to person transfer, um, those are the potential ways that you could contract COVID-19 from the grocery store. However, we are advising people to only touch what they're going to pick up and purchase themselves. Don't sit there and compare all of the carrots in the store. Grab the ones that you want. Um, the other thing is um, I've seen some advice out there, and I think it's very reasonable advice, that once you have purchased your groceries from the grocery store, throw away that original wrapping and put it in containers that you have at home that are clean. Okay. Okay. No, that's actually very good uh, practical advice because I think that's – if uh, during this period of uh, isolation – I think that is the one area that people are still congregating and visiting uh, are the uh, grocery stores. Uh, some of these stores that, um, yeah, uh, are, are, I guess it's also subject to the policy of that store, how uh, they're dealing with it, you know, in terms of uh, personal protective equipment uh, for their staff and then their level of sanitization of uh, their store. Correct. And I know that a lot of grocery stores um, are also limiting the number of customers they'll let in at one time. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and I've seen that too where they're saying uh, keep two meters uh, distance uh, between yeah, typically uh, it's fellow customers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Shakib. Uh, I appreciate uh, your uh, insight and your information and uh, we hope to have you on again and um, uh, again, I think it's very important to get um, that balanced perspective from uh, somebody who's in the mix there. Jazakallah Again, uh, thank you for the opportunity. My extreme pleasure to be here. And inshallah, look forward to uh, speaking to you guys again uh, in a short time with an update. And inshallah, some good news at that point. Inshallah. Jazakallah Assalamu alaikum. So uh, we are not done yet. Uh, inshallah, we have our next guest uh, for this very special Saturday uh, afternoon podcast with uh, Sheikh Yafa. So I would like to welcome Sheikh Yafa to the podcast. Uh, Ahlan Sheikh, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. 
Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I unmuted myself now. I was muted. Okay. But I was hearing okay. you clearly. Okay. Alhamdulillah, Sheikh. I, I do not want you to be muted. I want you to be able to speak your piece, inshallah. Thanks for that. All right. So uh, it's been a week uh, since we last spoke. Uh, how are things uh, uh, with you firstly, your family and the community in Halifax? Alhamdulillah, uh, things have been uh, stable. We are coping. This is uh, thinking about it as the new normal and try to make the best out of it. Family is good, alhamdulillah, uh, the community is also finding it uh, finding its way through the uh, its coping mechanisms. It's not easy, um, but yeah, uh, we are not hearing any uh, particularly damaging news about our community, and uh, except for the expected cases going up and people uh, feeling the uh, some people are anxious and and people are. Uh, I'm really trying to understand the fact that a Juma passes and nobody shows up. Nobody yeah. goes, it thinks like that. Yeah, it's so weird on a yeah. Friday that you're usually that's a cornerstone of your day on right. Friday yeah. and it sets the tone for that day. Um, you know, you're getting ready, uh, you're going and then it's not just, um, you know, a it's not a normal day, you know, for uh, for Muslims. Uh, so it is a little bit, it's, it's strange. It feels weird because, you know, that time comes and you're, and you're like, uh, I should be in the masjid right now. That's right. Yeah. I'm wondering what you, what your brothers, um, uh, did, um, or have been doing over the past, uh, Jumas that there was no Juma because we, we, uh, we had people who held Juma at home, like, uh, myself. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I actually, uh, my uh, uh, my father said, okay, next week you need to come over, over and uh, lead Juma here. So, <laughs> there, uh, you know, we may do that uh, next week, uh, inshallah. But I don't know if that's become very common. What I have seen, though, is there's a lot of uh, videos that are circulating um, during the time of Juma where you'll have somebody give a khutbah in an empty masjid uh, or something to that effect or give a, a virtual Juma khutbah. It's not supposed to be meant to be a real Juma khutbah, but um, at least uh, people will get the reminder on that day. And uh, uh, I don't know how it's caught on in terms of doing your own Juma in your house at this point. Um, I, I think uh, from a, from an Islamic perspective, what I can say, and I need to authenticate uh, some of these. First of all, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, uh, this one is authentic, that the whole earth is made clean and masjid for me. So, um, but the other one is, if the number is sufficient for doing Juma, especially according to some of the madhahib, but the Juma itself in, in Islam is called a Sha'ira. A Sha'ira is the large worship uh, uh, practices that people do usually outside like Eid, like Hajj and, uh, and Ramadan that everybody feels so that it also it also speaks to the presence of Muslims and it speaks to the brotherhood and coming together. So th that is why uh, that is some of the reasons why we have um, Juma. So it's also it's social. It's more than just family. So from th from those angles, you can look at it here and there and say, OK, we should. OK, or we or we shouldn't. But uh, the virtual Juma 
uh, does not give the sense of the Sha'ira because it comes to uh, it may comes it may come to families uh, and people can hear that. Uh, my personal uh, uh, understanding is you can get Mawida a preaching from an old Juma, uh, but you can't replace the virtual Juma. Can't replace the current Juma for a virtual Juma. Uh, not not to my understanding. I may I may, I may be wrong. I need to authenticate that. But if you have a small Juma in your house, at least keeping uh, keeping with the hope that someday we will take this outside when all of this is finished. Uh, from that angle, that's where I see it supported to have the Juma at home. Okay. And uh, have you gone uh, grocery shopping in the past couple of days? I have, yes. Uh, you know, I, I went uh, the other day, I think, uh, yes, I went yesterday. I went grocery shopping and I felt as if I'm, you know, living in some type of dystopian future to s- some extent because uh, no one's, you know, it's it's a little bit quiet in the grocery store, so there's almost like a somber feeling within the grocery store. And then you're you're walking, and everyone's a little bit on edge. There's there's an aura of an anxiety. And then you get this announcer on the PA is like attention shoppers, remember to keep two meters distance from each other. You know what I mean? And he starts giving you these instructions on how to behave. And I felt like it's so weird because like, and then you see like, you meet the eyes of another shopper with their with their cart and you're you're looking at each other. And, and I know what they're thinking is like, okay, are we getting too close to each other right now? <laughs> that's, that's probably what, you know, what we're thinking, you know? And so uh, it, it feels like, you know, those, uh, like I said, uh, those uh, images of this type of dystopian future where, uh, you know, we have to almost uh, have this barrier between us and we're we're almost like giving up our, uh, I, I think, not our free will, but we are subjugating a lot of our will to authority to ma- micromanage what we're doing. I, you know, for example, I saw clips of drones, you know, uh, in China, in the Gulf. Uh, going out and then communicating with people like get back into your homes. Uh, you are now, you know, you are under quarantine. Get back into. So, you, you know what I mean? I understand the reasoning. I understand the reasoning behind this. I understand. Okay, this is uh, for public health and, and and whatnot. But the reason why I bring this up, Sheikh. So I'm not saying that we need to rebel against these policies. Okay. But I think we should go deeper into reflecting upon, okay, what is happening now? What brought us to the situation and also about the future, okay? Because um, if we look at this condition that we're in, this trial, this tribulation that we're in, in a simple material level, okay, this came out of nowhere. We don't know how it came in. We have to just deal with it. We have to listen to those who are in authority. They will save us. And you see this as human psychology. We look to like a a strong figure, an authoritative figure for instructions on what to do, right? So that's why, for example, you're seeing, um, uh, you know, Trump's approval rating going up during this time, okay? He's had the highest approval ratings of his entire presidency during this pandemic, right? So you're looking to these sources of authority. And so um, I think we need to uh, 
evaluate what's going on as well instead of just okay yeah we're following this uh the, the these uh, authoritative structures and we should be following it uh for 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 um uh you know for the sake of uh the good of the public but at the same time i don't think if we don't if we don't make real hard self reflective affirmations if we don't do that if we don't make moral reflection sheikh Everyone's making like, okay, we have to fix our healthcare system. We, okay, uh, we have to end uh, wet markets in China. Sheikh, wet markets in China have been going on for hundreds of years. Okay, it's going to be something else next. Okay, uh, if it's a disastrous earthquake, if it's another disease, we should make moral reflections as well. Because if you just look at everything in a material sense, okay, and at this point in time, yes, we are subjecting a lot of our will to a points of authority uh after this happens if we do not make moral reflection sheikh uh, we could find ourselves in a worse position because i want you to think about this you have these policies in place they're saying okay we're going to monitor people's movement through their cell phone you're going to have drones now monitoring people are they uh, complying with this public health policy uh they're restricting freedom of movement uh they're putting all these different uh policies in place of isolation or whatever if we don't make those moral reflections sheikh we could be establishing turnkey tyranny you know for uh a somebody who has ill intentions a pharaoh they just use these mechanisms now in place to control society for their will yeah you understand what i'm saying no I'm one's just... making those moral like uh, one, one of the brothers was frustrated telling me that you know i find it so frustrating that you have uh because obviously you have a certain um mouthpiece uh for people who have um the people who have the biggest platform aren't making those moral reflections okay is there something as a society morally we need to change they're so, they're, they're thinking about maybe policy change they're yeah. thinking about material change they're talking about changing uh their supply change but they're not thinking about moral change they're not thinking about uh you know is there uh something that we have lacked morally as a people as a society as a culture shift that's you know that's what uh, some of the things that thoughts that are going uh through my mind because you look at this i understand the purpose and i'm not saying rebel against this but if we don't make i think moral reflections what's going to happen afterwards is we're just giving you know uh if you look at what happened during uh the bush era and the obama era uh in in uh, the united states they gave vast and expanded powers to their government to spy on people to imprison people without due process and now you had now they blame okay uh Trump inherited all those mechanisms so you can't blame Trump for anything that he's do doing okay and they have a responsibility for uh, what they did during their administrations so you're just basically putting all these mechanisms in place and as somebody who wants to be even a greater tyrant has the keys to this tyrannical kingdom you understand what I'm saying, Sheikh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are, you, what, are, what are your comments on that? Well, you made you made several points there. Some of them were funny, but they are realities, right? I think you spoke yeah. for everyone when you said, um, when people meet, you know, you're looking at the other person, you're pushing your cart, and um, it becomes part of your 
it becomes part of your attention focus. Before, it was just how you get to the item you want in, in the right aisle. But now it becomes how you stay away from the person that is coming. Although sometimes you want to say hello, uh, but you don't know whether you should even say that. Uh, that is, <laughs> I think you speak for, for all of us when you say that. Yeah. The other day I was walking down the hill from my house, um, uh, going down and um, uh, with my children, we just we were just going to take a walk. And there, there was uh, another family coming. And of course they took one side of the street and we took the other side, but I kept my head up wanting to say hello. And yeah. they were all having their heads down. Yeah. Even, even the dog, I think, bowed a little bit more. <laughs> so, yeah. so I said, we could say hello. And I said, hi, and they said hi all together. And we passed. So it's a, it's a kind of, it's a weird situation actually. But I think you hit a point there that, um, uh, the people can use this situation to actually control and get. Pol they, they said we we are all on the same page right now. It doesn't have. It, it doesn't matter which party you belong to. But this is really a good ripe time for people who want to um, use their political status to to increase it and to get uh, from society what they wanted. Um, uh, in 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 one of the West African countries in Sierra Leone. They have not had any case, but the government has has announced a state of emergency for one year. Mm. For one whole year. They didn't even consult with the medical yeah. experts. It's not like based on what uh, the, 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 the medical officials have told us, and based on how this thing is going, we are going to have three months and then we are going to reevaluate it and make assessment. It's just like one year state of emergency, just means that we have now the authority. You, to you know what they say in politics, right? What? Never let a good crisis go to waste. That's right, exactly. So um, it's weird, and I see your point. I see your point very perfectly. And the other thing is, I think um, the, the the point about rules. You see, when you talk about Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and you talk about the Creator, and people say oh, you have too many rules. The thing is, people are actually looking. As, in, as people, as human beings, we're looking for somebody to tell us what to do. Mm. We're actually looking for somebody. To, so these um, restrictions have been put in place um, generally for the public good. But I even have people who are questioning whether you should have your friends over. I said, they said public spaces. You cannot, it doesn't mean you cannot have one friend who's healthy, who hasn't traveled, have not interacted with a traveler. You were together the day before the restrictions were passed. Now you can't see them anymore. It's not your private yeah. space, it's public spaces, right? Yeah. So, um, so pe people lo are looking for somebody to control and this is just innate in us. That is why when, when people say, oh, religion has so many rules and so many controls, and I ask, you know, when there is no light, when the, when the lights go, uh, the, the traffic lights go, you call and tell people to come and put it so that we have some rules, right? Yeah. You want people to go on one side, you want the, 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 the cars to go on the other side. We just, are, uh, we just are made like that. We want to worship, we want to follow uh, something, uh, some, 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 some commandments. And um, um, here is something though that makes me optimistic. As much as Trump's um, rating is going up. I believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's people's, people's rating of themselves in relation to him, because I wouldn't say his rating, subhanahu wa ta'ala, people's rating in, in, in response to him and in closeness to him is also going up. We can't forget that. 
and this is a battle between uh, 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 what is good and what is not. So we can actually make this good for ourselves. And I just tell you, I have had many brothers call me and ask me, are there people who are needy in the community? We want to see what we can do, right? Yes. And this is coming out of nowhere. And uh, mm. people are saying, uh, if you know somebody who needs something, just let me know. I can do this and that. And um, so uh, it's, it's, it's amazing what could come out of this. And it's a time of reflection because if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you time in your hand, and, and especially that some of this, because we have some good government of justice in this country, some of the, 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 the financial burden has been taking up a little bit, then this is your time actually to develop yourself spiritually. If you wake up in the night and you know you don't have to go anywhere in the morning or you can work from home, you can put in your eight hours. There is nothing wrong with rising up and, 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 and being close to your creator by praying to Rakai and waking up your family and then going back to, to sleep so that you, you develop spiritually, you rise up spiritually. A lot of the evil that was going on, like alcohol, are, are all closed now. Alhamdulillah, right? Everybody is yeah. saying it's wrong, but there is so much taxes coming out of it. The government just can't shut it down. But it is shutting down now by itself, just as a matter of course. So um, it is not, Allah never does anything, Sharun Mahab, that is absolute evil. That does not exist in the in the agenda of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for humanity. It's just how we look at it. It's just yeah. perspective. It's just I, I, th I think uh, we need to look beyond uh, policy change because people may just look at it in that sense, right? How, what can, what measures, what techno technological change can we have? What policy change can we have? But perhaps we should start thinking what type of a mindset should we change? What kind of perspective change should we have uh, at this uh, particular time? Because yes, there uh, we should reflect that globally pollution rates are now going down. You know, you see you see almost a resurgence of wildlife and uh you know all this damage that occurred uh, occurred to the environment okay so you're seeing that uh what you're saying I, i'm sure uh incidences of um you know alcohol related sexual abuse has dropped greatly you know uh you know the uh, uh, one of the greatest for example in university settings is these frat parties that people would go to this is one of the biggest threats right to uh safety of women in post-secondary institutions are uh, uh, the most likely place that uh, they could uh, get assaulted. I'm sure if you look at all these different rates, uh, you know, what you're mentioning, what you're talking about, uh, has diminished, has gone down. So I think we need to reflect, like when we are been now put into these, our homes as a makeshift prison, so to speak, uh, or in terms of this isolation, what what are some of the benefits that has now happened worldwide in some of these ills that we understood to be ills within society, things that are damaging our world and our society? So then I think that's where we have to look, that moral self-reflective change. We need to th change the way perhaps that we behave and that we think, you know, because before the, even before this pandemic, before this virus, there was harm that was happening brought by uh, human beings. There was harm globally. And for us now to uh, be put in this situation, we see some of that harm diminish. So it's like that eye in the Quran that, you know, this you're you're dealing with what your evil that your own uh, hands have put forth, you know. That's right.
Yeah. So so I, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that because um, you see the the some of the 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 moral. Uh, 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 quagmire we put ourselves in is what we consume and how much we consume, right? What we take in and how much we take in. And um, that the consumption, I don't only mean what we put in our stomachs, but the things that we produce and buy and and and, and collect and, and amass and, and hoard and so on and so forth. So Alhamdulillah, uh, the good things, some of the good things that come out of this is again, like you said, the, the environment is, is healing a little bit. There are stories of, of um, uh, a body of water, particularly one anecdotal story, a body of water in Italy uh, that used to um, uh, transport uh, uh, tourists, right? I think it's, it's in Venice. And um, now that the pollution and the smoke and the motors have stopped from affecting it, the fish, is, the fish are showing up again. They are swimming yeah. now in this water when they had ex escaped uh, b before, and this was a place that never had any, never had any rest. was always um, uh, was always occupied by, by by human beings consuming what they do, what, what they didn't need, enjoyment and so on and so forth. But again, you mentioned you mentioned prison. Um, even real prison can be good for for, for certain people, and this one is is. Is far. I think we, especially as Muslims, I know the level of anxiety can go up. Uh, the apprehension can can really uh, multiply, and the fears can come. But as a believer, nothing can go beyond the plan of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The real prison are so bad. Yusuf alayhi salam, we know it was in prison that he started his preaches. That is, if in fact he chose it. I love the prison more than what all of the things that we just we are just prevented from right just yes. you mentioned like this sexual violence and so on he said, i prefer to be in prison than to be in these things and when he went there yeah is always telling his friends oh my friends in the in prison here don't you think it's better to worship one creator and so on and so forth so um this the change in mindset and the change in our work i was discussing with one of my closest brothers today that um it, whether this is whatever this is, wherever this com comes from, whether it is just natural or whether it's human mistake or human deliberate act, whatever it is, with all the theories that are that that are out there, no plan can surpass the plan of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. No plot can take over the plot of Allah Subhanahu the plan of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So we look at it, and when we see things happen, we say, okay, how can we change this to an opportunity? When the Prophet وسلم, was given embargo when he couldn't go out, what he used was to fortify the few people that were around him. So we can always use this with our families and so on and so forth and try to make our lives even better during these times and come closer to I, I think what okay. happens is that we, when we look at our actions and our deeds, we don't understand the ripple effect or the cascade that it has, you know. So, uh, for example, we know the hadith of Rasul in one version of the hadith where a man, he went into a well to get water for a thirsty dog. And in another version, it was a prostitute who did that. Uh, it wasn't just limited to that one action. You know, it's I, OK, I just quenched. The end result is that I quenched the thirst of this dog. You understand what I'm saying? I think we should understand our actions have a personal effect, it has a societal effect, and it has an akhira effect. 
you know, there is a cascade of uh, there's a ripple, uh, you know, effect on our from our actions to these levels. So for ourselves personally, what type of character am I reinforcing that I'm proving? Okay, this is the type of person I am. What am I doing to the environment? What am I doing to the people uh, around me? What kind of effect does my actions have? And then there's an akhira effect. There's an akhira effect that uh, was this sincere? Is this something that will better my position with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the akhira? You know. And so for obviously for this act of kindness, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgave that man. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgave that prostitute. We know the hadith uh, of our Rasul Sallallahu where uh, those three men were trapped in a cave and the rock fell and imprisoned essentially these these three men and they made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to relieve them of this situation through their good deeds through deeds that they had already done right Sheikh? Yes, so right. uh so we i we I, I think we don't give as much presence we don't understand the sins that we do the good deeds that we do the cascaded effect that it has on ourselves our society i want you to think about it if, uh, if we have a society that truly cares about their fellow human beings not to be able to instagram it or hashtag it or to, uh, as we said, uh, utilize a crisis situation or something to that effect, but they truly care about their fellow human beings, that you have enough people doing that, that changes that environment, that changes that city. You have enough people doing that in a country, that changes the mentality of that country, Sheikh. You know what That's I right. mean? It, tra it changes the environment uh, uh, of those people. And uh, that's why I think it's so important for us now to really uh, be very self-reflective of our actions. Understand that what we are doing now has an effect. You, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, they don't make that link. They don't make that link between uh, their good deeds or their sins and their character. They don't make that link between what they're contributing to the, their environment and society at large. You know, they're helping to shape community. If you have enough selfish people within a community, uh, that's going to shape the mentality of that community. That's going to help shape that mentality of that community. It's going to make it's going to you know shape the direction that community takes. Right, Sheikh? Yes, so right. I, I think we, I think we need to be very cognizant of that at this point, that what you do has a cascaded effect. We're seeing that in the environment. We're seeing that uh, within our interactions with human beings. Uh, we're seeing that our, our, on our own selves, our own physical, mental well-being, our own spiritual well-being. You know, as as Bani Israel, they questioned Musa alayhi uh, salam, and they were asking uh, him, what does uh, sacrificing a heifer have to do with our situation that we're in? You know, when uh, mm -hmm. they, they were finding out, you know, who killed that man, what does, that what does one thing have to do with another? You know, for them, they're looking at it a very narrow focus, mm -hmm. a very uh, tit for tat, a very transactional focus. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get into that, Sheikh. We look at our, our ibadah as trans uh, transactional. I made mm -hmm. dua. Okay, why didn't I get a response to this dua? I did this good deed. Why didn't I get a uh, response for this good deed? I I, 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 I donated fi sabillah. Why didn't I get my 10 times reward right now, mm -hmm. you know, for this donation, Sheikh? You know, so it's a very transactional thing, but they don't look at uh, the greater picture. 
You know, if another, for example, if another people give only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if enough people, you reach a certain threshold of people giving only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, perhaps you would have a society that doesn't have uh, poverty or economic injustice and and, and so on. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts about that, Chef? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think those are very very um, great reflection points because Rasulullah sallallahu clearly said that anyone who calls to goodness, anyone who calls to kindness, anyone who behaves in a way that somebody else might see and emulate when it's good, and they are not only getting uh, reward from Allah subhanahu wa taala and are considered in the in amongst the good people, but they will be increased also uh, uh, in effect by the number of people that they affect. So, so you have to be very very uh, cognizant of that. That whatever the small kindness, the small goodness, word, uh, behavior, uh, interaction that you can do for your brother or your sister or your neighbor or your children or your spouse. It doesn't go anywhere. It is. It stays. It stays there. It is. I mean, when I mean it doesn't go anywhere, it does not diminish. It has its ripple effect. It goes somewhere, and but it does not diminish. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala keeps it in this dunya, and it it is because of those work that we do that come out of sincerity, that come out of close realization of the power of Allah of our Creator. It is because of that we still are breathing the air that is provided by our Creator, and we still are eating the food that is provided and enjoying and enjoying life. And and that is what we should always do, because what is really so the human being will always sin. The sin is part of us, meaning we are not perfect. Because if we didn't sin, we will be perfect. And the sin is part of us. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, La What Allah really hates is somebody to manifestly and openly be sinning. Right? So why would you have to drink and drive? Why would why do you want to have alcohol in a public place? Why do you have to open this bar in this place? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like this because what happens when you sin outwardly or you sin and tell somebody. What happens is somebody who was sinning and hiding, you give them the confidence that, well, you know, I wasn't doing so bad. Especially if I look at you who's confessing your own sin in front of me as somebody whom I was looking up to. So Allah hates when we bring sins out. So with, with this being our condition now, we should come out of this with some other level of, of you getting used to things that are better for us and for, and for humanity. Right. Uh, because if you also do something evil, you do something wrong, you will be tasked with the with the with the sin and the ripple effect of that and including the sin of anyone who who follows you. So this is the time for us to, to really take advantage of uh, this situation and not look at it from just a, a negative angle, because anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does, well, Hakimul Alim, he's the most wise and he's knowledgeable of everything. Nothing, nothing at all happens for nothing. It's all calculated by 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 the Creator, and um, we can't we can't curse the time. Prophet said, "Do not curse the time." Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Ma min illa Anything you say, it's you have been watched, right? Mm. You have been watched. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is hearing it. So um, we there's a lot of lessons to learn uh, to learn from this, and. Um, 
this is a time when there is no time that has preceded this that is like it. We have so much technology in our hands and we can spread so much goodness that is constructive, that helps people, that tell people the truth. And that is not only sending out and forwarding and passing on um, falsehood around that we cannot verify, right? So that is why I, I'm really happy when we have sessions like this, um, where we we have we have a discussion about something that is that we we really need for ourselves, for our families, and for all the people that we 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 connect to, right? Yeah, no, Sheikh, I, I agree. Like, you know, people are reacting to a lot of this uh, isolated time, and essentially, we're getting a lot of free time for people. For many people, they have uh, an excess of free time. But with, you know, SubhanAllah, when you think about this, people, when they're busy with the dunya, they wish they could have more free time. Now Allah SWT gives them all this free time and they don't know what to do with this time and they can't find peace, you know? So I, I, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've talked to, you know, people about this, like, what are you doing with your, your time? It's like, man, I'm... I, I'm watching this new series on Netflix and they're they're binging on Netflix. Okay. I said, and I asked, uh, it was actually a grocery clerk. I'm like, so yeah, how do you feel after that? He's like, man, I feel so tired and exhausted after because like they're watching like episode after episode. Like, so do you feel tired? You know, do you feel energized afterwards? You feel it's like, man, no, man, I feel like so tired uh, after this. Uh, you know, uh, people, if you ask them, uh, what's your favorite song? Say somebody who listens to music. It's like, man, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm tired of this song. Yeah, you, you know, it's my favorite song, but I've listened to it too, too many times. Imagine if you get, you know, so if you get a song stuck in your head and you just like get it out of my head. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to get it out. You know what I mean? And so um, people are having a hard time finding this peace during this time, you know, or uh, a, a, a blessing of this uh, extra amount of time that they've been given. You know, Sheikh. Yeah. And I think the key is what you mentioned, uh, which is encapsulated in the ayah, right? Verily in the remembrance of Allah do the hearts find rest. And I was making, uh, you know, this, uh, this self-reflection. I said, you know, subhanAllah, imagine your favorite movie, if you had to watch it uh, continuously every day over and over and over again, you're going to get sick and tired of that. Your favorite song, if you keep hearing it over and over, it's going to start pounding in your head and it will feel like almost like a drill going inside your ear. Okay. But think about this. Verily in the remembrance of Allah did the hearts find rest. How many times will you recite the Fatiha in a day and, you'll, and you're not going to get tired? Oh, I, I got to get the Fatiha out of my head. Has any? I've never heard anybody, even a person who has low Iman, Whoever said that I need to get ayat of Quran out of my head. Rather, when people are trying to memorize the Quran, they're repeating it over and over and over and over again, and they're not getting tired of it because they want it. They want it stuck in their head, Sheikh. They want it stuck in their head. They want it stuck in their hearts. You know, like when you hear ayat of Quran, you know, at the beginning, I would say for people who don't have a connection to the Deen, at the beginning, it's almost like they go through this period of detox. So it's not everybody they're going to hear an ayat of Qur'an and it just lifts them up because it's also based on the purity and the state of your heart. So if you have a lot of, you know, covering, uh, you know, sins that have covered your heart, 
the Quran has a positive effect, but sometimes the person doesn't get that level of uplifting because it's that detoxification process. It's purifying. And anything that goes through a state of purification, uh, it it needs to struggle. It needs like when you're cleaning clothes, you need to twist the clothes. You need to put water and soap and you're, you're, you're you know, it goes through a period of drying. So there's a process. You don't wash the clothes. You don't purify something instantaneously. It goes through a process which requires some uh, type of effort that put that's put into that, right? So if you go through that process, you know, for example, when you're connecting uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as you get closer and closer, you realize that I will never get tired of these ayat of Quran. I will never get tired of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I will never get tired of knowledge of the deen. That's when you become thirsty of increasing your Al-Maddin and you know and thereby hopefully it has that effect where you're practicing more and more. You know what I mean, Sheikh? But I've never seen that where a person will say, Oh, I'm tired of uh, of of hearing the Quran or reciting the Quran or the same surah. Maybe they don't know a few short surahs. Oh man, I have even the smallest surah. Uh, oh, I have, uh, you know, ikhras, surah ikhras stuck in my head. I got to, you know what I mean? And it's been driving me crazy. I have never heard anybody ever say that. Rather, when the person who starts connecting with the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they want it to be repeated in their head over and over and over again. And that's where they get that peace. They feel a sense of peace. They feel a sense of tranquility. Oh my, I feel relaxed. You know, I feel my blood pressure going down. I feel my anxiety going down, especially when you're connecting a little bit with the meaning too. When you either you understand Arabic or you're reading the meaning if you don't understand Arabic and you're connecting with those ayat in the Quran, it has that profound effect. It has that next level deeper effect, uh, you know, Sheikh. Yeah. So, yeah, Jazakallah Khair for that. Um, it's it's rather uh, uh, interestingly uh, you, you you mentioned that the, nobody says that, you know, the fighter is stuck in my head today and it can't get out. <laughs> yeah. Even though, think about it, Sheikh, if you read it, like so, you just read the Faraid 17 yeah. times a day. 17 You're times a day, it. nobody. I've I, never I challenge anybody <laughs> to, uh, to listen to a song 17 times a day and not say after, like, the in the first day that they're not being tortured. Oh yeah, it's, be like, it's, it's, this song is torturing me, and it could have been like their most favorite song in the world, but they'll yeah. never say that about the Fatih. Yeah. In fact, in fact, Subhanallah, um, you you can listen if you don't if you don't read it yourself, and you listen to various people reading it in various um, uh, 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 ways of 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 um, of reciting it. You enjoy each in a different way, right? For the ones that listen to the Quran on on the internet, for example, if you go. Some people have their favorite. I I have no favorite reader, so yeah. that I can move from one to the other, right? I have Mahmoud Khalil Husari anyway. So anyway, so that that's very very interesting. And when you talk about this um, uh, this extra time we have in our hand, it's actually a very short time if you think about it in the in the span of of our lives. You have to know um, that this is going to the life itself, every minute that passes, 
is a minute that is passing, you, you're giving out uh, from, from your life. So every breath you take is one breath closer to your death. So just because you are not working in a system right now that is designed for you and you've been supervising it, it doesn't mean your time is not going. So if that work is not in your life and you are somebody who has, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made you as someone who understands your deen, this is the time to ask yourself, how many times have I read the Quran completely, all of it? How many times have I read half the Quran? How many times have I read a fourth of the Quran? How many times have I read um, um, one eighth of the Quran? So what if I make that a goal and do, and do something with that, uh, see where that takes me, right? Uh, I have been struggling with reading my Quran. Forget about how many times I've read the whole, the whole Quran. I'm struggling. How the resources are, uh, 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 there are plethora of resources on, on the internet where you can go and really listen to someone who is reading surah by surah and, inc and increase yourself. And that really gives you tranquility. And the good thing about that is you find that it's not only your time is not wasted, your time is rewarded in your heart, like you mentioned the ayah, but also with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because one, one half means eh, is a lift in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you read in that, you, you become on the front line, I mean, headline news to Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we really need to use this time as efficiently as possible. And one way, whatever we do, we have to include the Quran as part of our daily routine this time. Mm -hmm. If you miss this time, when it is made compulsory upon us to stay home, right, we miss this time, then this is the biggest loss. Really, we can, we can, we can, we, we, will, we will regret. Anyone who was thinking, you know, it's very easy to put goals in a dreamy time when you are actually busy. And you say, oh, if I am free, like you said, if I am free, this is what I'm going to do. But all of a sudden you, you, free, you are free, then you're confused. What was I, what did I say I was going to do? Right? This is the time to really put some of those things that you had, that remotely thought you were going to do, to start um, uh, doing them. Some of us have written many, many pages here and they are putting them together thinking, I wanted to write an article, I wanted to write a small book, I wanted to write, a, you know, this is the time to give some, some time to that. Uh, some of us had always said that friend has been away from me, especially relatives, let me say, that I've not called. This is the time to break that barrier. These are all things that are valued by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should know as Muslims, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and going to things with the right niyyah, and so that we come out of this with something that is precious, that we can really cherish for our dunya and, and our akhirah. You see, some ulama were saying that the only thing I have is my time. I don't give it to anybody, right? Mm -hmm. I think all of us may say, oh, yeah, the same thing here. I don't have time. Now you do, my brother. Now you do, my sister. Yeah. What are you going to do now is the big question. Even to just straighten our fatiha. I with my kids, yaqi. And all of them, all of them have been in Islamic schools. I review Fatiha with them. Wallah. Mm -hmm. I review Fatiha with them because I said, when it becomes automatic, your mistakes becomes automatic along. Mm. Right? So review it once in a while. Listen to yourself. Get somebody to listen to you and say, am I saying it right or not? Because this is not our language, the majority of us. Right? Just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is letting us go, it doesn't mean that when we have the time, we should not be using it to make ourselves better, right? So uh, it's, a, it's high time. It's very, very, you know, get yourself two lines of the Quran a day. If you're struggling with it, it's good. If you're not struggling with it, it's even better. 
so um, it's really a great a great opportunity for us. It's a great opportunity yeah. for us. And and, and I, I, I think we should highlight as well uh, some of the good things people are doing. Like I said, through calamities, you can see uh, the positive way of dealing with it, I feel, uh, as we spoke about earlier, is that it can reveal the goodness of your character, but also it can give you an opportunity uh, to to do good or to be better, to go through this trial or, or situation. Uh, you can look at it as an opportunity, uh, you know, not to exploit it, but actually to become better from it. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the brothers, uh, you know, uh, showed an example of this to me. He's a medical doctor, so he's, you know, on the front lines working in emergency uh, rooms. And, uh, you know, after a long shift, you know, and, the, and, and their shifts are like, you know, 24, 48 hours, Sheikh, right? At the end of that shift, Sheikh, you know what this brother did? He brought and left uh, some um, uh, some of this uh, natural fresh pressed juice outside my front door. And then he just, you know, texted me and said, I, you know, I left you uh, this because I, I know you like this uh, fresh pressed juice. So I left, uh, you know, a few bottles of that uh, outside your front door for you, you know? So, you know, subhanAllah, like this is like after a long shift, he's a medical doctor. He could say, hey, I'm doing I've done enough. I've, I'm, I've been doing all these, uh, you know, things for the community. But it's like that extra what you know, who who you are thinking about others, uh, you know, rising to the occasion, uh, being, you know, whatever people say, the change that you want to see. Uh, this is these are all opportunities. Don't just get locked down in the bubble. OK, this is only what I can do. And you're just passing the time. You're unconsciously just, you know, going into zombie mode and going from video game or or, or, or watching uh, uh, movies and all that stuff, but doing something better with your life, uh, making more uh, of a self-reflective analysis of your state of who you are, you know. But uh, I feel like there are there are examples that can make us smile. There are examples that give us hope of, uh, you know, how people are dealing with the situation, you know, Shay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. Um, I remember you. You. I think it was you who said one time, you know, even if you don't think you want to exercise, just get to the gym. Just go around. You know, be mm. around the gym, and and maybe you'll get inspired by somebody, and maybe you, you know, you go on the treadmill, and maybe you lift something. But if you don't get it around, I think this is the time to bring your books out, bring the things that interest you out, put your Quran outside, you know, don't yeah. take it out of the, the shelf. Sit, sit around it, you know, and create a space that is also different from, from where you, 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 you are always being entertained and visit that space often. Sit around it. Per, perchance Allah SWT will inspire you because it's also tawfiq from Allah, you know. It's also tawfiq. Um, it's just uh, some people may just recline at this time and and wait for it to pass, and that is uh, that's a big um, that's that's really would that would really be be sad if we do nothing at these times, um, and may Allah make it easy for us because uh, the time that you've been you you've been uh, uh, aspiring to maybe this is it, mm. maybe this is that time um uh, if you start something you see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards not only the int the intention is rewarded when the uh, the there is azim there is okay i'm going to do it so whether you finish it or not then it becomes secondary then right but mm. we have all been intending to do great things 
So you really have to look at your schedule for the day and say, is this the time to start that great thing or not? Maybe it is. And if it is, uh, you this might be what will change your life and other people's. Um, and and um, I, I don't, Rasulullah advised us to be, to really uh, strengthen our relationships with our kith and king and with our neighbors. If you have the opportunity, uh, maybe to pass a, a, a something around in your neighborhood and say, I'm here, I'm healthy, I've not traveled uh, uh, recently, and I'm living with, the, with family members that have not traveled, and I can do your grocery while keeping uh, social distancing if you are age 60 mm. or over, you know, yeah. create something so that you bring some life into into yourself yeah. and make somebody somebody's life a little a little better. And and, and if and if they cough, they can uh, do a modified dab, you know, just like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's right. So please don't <laughs> cough nowadays in public because that's that's. Yeah. Uh, that's uh that's a no that's a no no if you feel like coffee suppress it until your eyes become very red and the water i did that at the bank the other day and i was surprised i left i left the row and asked somebody else to go forward because i was really struggling and i didn't want to cough yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh Sheikh, it's like you're gonna you're, you're gonna have anxiety coughs now and this is allergy season for people <laughs> you know this is springtime so for a lot of people they're going through allergies so I feel bad for people who have really bad allergies. They have to try to mask yeah. their sneezing and cough because everyone's going to go out of control. All right, Sheikh. Jazamah uh, Once again, it was a pleasure having you on. Um, we'll try to make it a regular thing. Sure. Our next uh, live Huck podcast will be Thursday evening, 6 p.m. MST. We'll try to throw in as many bonus sessions as we can. Uh, there's a lot of different experts and professionals uh, I want to get on the podcast, uh, lawyers, doctors, uh, public health officials uh, to inshallah give us, um, you know, a lot of information that we can utilize, uh, a sandwich obviously with reminders so we can perhaps change our character and our thinking, which I would say would be the better change uh, through this process, uh, inshallah. So, Zamakhir to all our viewers. And we hope to uh, do do some good works uh, during this uh, pandemic. And we hope to unite with as many people as we can to do good things as well. And we hope to live Huck. And uh, that's why you've tuned into Life Huck. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, inshallah. See you again very soon. See you, inshallah. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.